You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Early on, Pastor Simon had uh, asked us, elders so challenged, that if uh, every now and then that we would preach, if not preach, at least give our testimonies. Most of my peers already have done it, so this time I felt led by the Spirit to, to do it. Um, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, Jill and I have two sons, eight grandchildren, a single daughter, and we are very blessed to know that they are all believers. That's a great peace of mind. Before I forget, I would like to uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a good Father. You are faithful, and we thank you for everything you do for us. We thank you for your word, and we pray this morning that you are able to speak through me. And like Pastor Simon says, anything that needs to be left out, please help me do that. And what is left, let me be a clear communicator so that your message can be a blessing for those that hear. Thanks again for this church and everyone here. We thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let me start with my testimony. Uh, As a child, we had grandma at home until I was seven years old. And she was a godly woman. She taught us Uh, about Jesus, she taught us to pray, and she would take us to church every now and then. Uh, I grew up in Argentina, it's the map there, it's the eighth largest country in the world, beautiful country with lovely people and huge challenges as well. Uh, Now when it comes to soccer, We are the champions of the world. (laughs) My Aunt Maria came to visit us, and she was on fire for the Lord. She was just a new convert. She asked my mom to uh, take her to visit this missionary, very close friend of her pastor. Not only was he able to answer all the soul-searching questions my mom had, but she, he also led her to the Lord. After three weeks or Sundays of attending church, she took us along, and we loved it. In my youth, uh, I attended a military academy, and that was from when I was 12 to 18. It was a high school training and military uh, training as well. So we would graduate as uh, reserve officers. Uh, We also took part on the big parades in front of the presidential uh, palace, and uh, that was on special occasions. At church, I was invited to be part of the Trio Evangelico de Armonicas. That means Evangelical Harmonica Trio. In English, it's all reversed. It took me a long time. My kids still tease me. Um, but I had to practice at school, and we had a huge bathroom 
with about 30, 40 shower heads, 30 sinks. It was big, so that was the place where I would go practice. But that was also the place where some of my peers would get together and uh, smoke some cigarettes, and you know, they were good guys, but it was not the best company I needed. So little by little, instead of having my harmonica in my mouth, I had a cigarette. With a cigarette came the hooking into this tobacco habit, and that pushed me away. I didn't want to be fun, so I wouldn't go to church. I would associate with other Christian friends, and little by little, before I realized, I was far away from the Lord. I wanted to hang out with my friends and go on vacation with them, so I needed money. And my father would say, Alex, if you want money, I have plenty of it. You just have to come to our shop and earn it like all the other workers. I hated that. But later on, I came to realize here in the States that the skills that I learned working at my father's shop were exactly the ones that here in the States helped me survive and have a job when I didn't know the language. Why didn't I know the language? Because I was not a very good student. And of the high school uh, curriculum we had the last two years, English, I did the bare minimum to pass. And I was thinking, who needs English? Yeah, not for me. Little did I know that five years later I was going to be here in the States and realizing that the opportunities that I had, I really uh, missed it or squared away or wasted away. I don't know about you, but God sometimes has a funny way of teaching us the lessons we don't want to learn. In my case was skills, in my case was language, but it can be anything that God will want to use you uh, for in the future. Uh, I was 21 years old studying chemical engineering about 45 miles away from home at this city called La Plata. I was struggling with my life. I was struggling with uh, studies. I had no direction. And though I had family and friends that really loved me, I felt totally lonely, and that's what happens when you are far away from God. I knew that my brother and sister and my mom and the church was praying for me, but can you believe it? They were the ones messing up with my life because everything was going wrong. I, um, two weeks ago, we went over James chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I started reading the Bible. I would go, walk to this uh, uh, central plaza uh, in La Plata, a beautiful place, sit on a bench. There are not benches anymore. I don't know what happened with them. But uh, I would sit there and read Proverbs. And time over again, I came through verses 
which talked about the foolish son that was speaking directly to me. There was no question about that. And one time I decided to go and walk inside that cathedral. And walking around, uh, looking at the stained glasses, I saw this picture of Jesus being tempted by Satan. Down below said in Latin, retrovade satanus, which is from Matthew 4, 5, where Jesus said, be gone, Satan. Jesus had been tested on the flesh. He has been tested on his vocation and has been tested with his adoration. And what Jesus was able to say and to do, I wasn't able to do that. I failed on all three levels. I also started reading um, the book of Psalms, beautiful books. And if you have your Bibles uh, or read here from the screen, I will cheat and read from uh, the notes I have. Chapter 32, verses 3 to 5, really hit my heart. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sins to you, and I did not cover my inequity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the inequity of my sin. As we sang, God is a good God. Though he forgave me of all the bad stuff that I have done, I knew that I also needed to square away my relationship with my dad and with church. One communion morning, I just couldn't, I, I wanted to skip it. I, uh, finally, I got up of bed and I got to church just on time for the communion. At that point, I stood up and I told the church that I, I, I was very uh, sad, sad and sorry for not being able to kick the, my habit. And I prayed for their forgiveness because that wasn't the testimony of the church and I asked for prayers to help me out. God is faithful and he helps us when we need it regardless of what we're going through. In Isaiah 41.10 we read, Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up with my righteous hand. There's no prescribed formula on how you come back to God and how you restore your relationship with others. In my case, I did it publicly. Years later, I was here in the States and I got a letter from Valentina thanking me for going forward because while I was talking to the church, she silently, within her heart, was asking Lord, the Lord Jesus to help her out with her same problem or the problem that I did have. Through the years, God used me as a youth leader in Argentina. 
Yeah. Valentina, by the way, is the second down to the, on the left. He also used me as a Sunday school teacher, moderator in our previous church. And uh, now I'm an elder. They, you guys didn't vote me out. <laughs> Thank you for that. Summary, I've been blessed with beyond measure. And now my difficulties are all over. You know that that's not the case for us believing Christians. There is always going to be some struggles. But God is with us, helping and encouraging us. God, I mean, life with God is difficult. But life without God is just miserable. That's my own experience. Last Sunday, we went over... Oh, Pastor um, Simon talked about planning without God. Today we are going to be seeing wealth without God. In chapter 5 of James, verses 1 through 6, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have been rotted or have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat you your flesh like fire. You have been laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers you mowed, I mean, who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth luxury in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Note that the words of the text is not asking for repentance. Why? Because James is not addressing the church in particular because though there may have been some rich people and people that were living uh, in sin, so to speak, but he was addressing it to the church as a warning. And the same thing as the old prophecy, you can see in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, there are chapters that are devoted condemning the uh, kingdoms around Israel and uh, warning about destruction. And that was a warning for the Israelites that if they would do the same things, evil things that these people were doing, and uh, being idolatry, God would have eventually um, punished them or uh, bring them to destruction. Well, it wasn't destruction, but both kingdoms of the north and the south ended up in uh, slavery for many years. So the warnings serve two purposes. First, they should encourage us who know God that even though the rich seem to get away, there will be a time where his judgment will come and be uh, manifested. And on the other hand, the second purpose is to... Oh, 
Sorry. The second purpose is to warn us that if we do the same things that uh, unbelievers do, following riches, we will suffer the consequences. So, as Christians, we have plenty of uh, warnings in the Bible, but I like the one that I like to uh, bring up is in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, where it says, but those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and snare of many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with grief. He makes three points. And the first one is that wealth can be a dangerous trap. The Bible does not teach that money is evil. It teaches that the love of money is the cause of all, uh, the root of all evil, all, all kinds of evil. Jesus, yeah, now Jesus mentioned in, uh, or said in Matthew 19, 23 to 24, truly I say to you, and I was talking to the rich young ruler, he walked away from salvation because he was rich. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished, and he said, Then who, they said, Who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with people, it is possible with God. In other words, only by the power of God we can be saved from going the wrong way and following, uh, or trying to follow riches. In those days, there were three indicators of wealth. Uh, James mentioned grain. For us, that doesn't mean much, but that, that is food. And food, if stored and not moved around, it rots. And if it doesn't rot, and you have it in your garage, the little neighborhood rodents may find it and have a feast. Then he mentions clothing. And for us, again, clothing is, is not a big deal. Everybody has plenty of clothes. Now, if you think in terms of other countries and other poor people, they live with just what they are wearing. They don't have that, so we are rich in comparison. And in those days, clothing was a sign of reach, uh, of wealth. And the third says, had a silver and gold. And John, James knew, of course, that silver and gold are, are precious metals that do not corrode, but although they do not corrode, a time of crisis, silver and gold is not uh, going to save you. He wrote this letter about uh, 49 AD, maybe 50 AD, 
And 20 years later, very short period of time, Titus came with the Roman legions into Jerusalem, got destroyed, and killed probably millions uh, or million people, Jews. Money, I mean, uh, silver and gold did not help them at all. And so it is, wealth is not lasting. That's the main point. Riches without God gives a temporary comfort and ease, but long-time misery. The ungodly person falsely believes that by having lots of wealth, um, he's protecting himself from things of the future. And there is a balance that we have to, we are instructed to uh, work and to uh, provide for our relatives. In 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if any, anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So to be clear, there's nothing wrong with living comfortably. There's nothing wrong with having uh, appliances automobiles, a computer, those items that help save us time or have extra time to help either others or to do work for the Lord. So those are good things. There's not, nothing wrong to have RVs for those of, the, of you that have them and nothing wrong to have boats or uh, other toys. The problem is when the toys and stuff that we have control us instead of us controlling uh, them, and when those things take us away from God's family and from fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters. Riches without God provide short-term advantages. Wealth brings or gives opportunity to have power. And once people have power, they love to keep it and they love to increase it. Even they do it at all costs. We know of politicians, we know of leaders that have abused wealth for their own benefit, probably have uh, not just their own, but the families gotten amassed riches. And that is, uh, a reason of concern. James in 5, in verse 5, says that they have fattened for the day of slaughter. You know, the, when you look at the slaughterhouse, the animals that go to the slaughterhouse are not the skinny ones, are the fat ones. The fatter, the better. So that's the kind of picture that James is putting here. We should... The uh, second point, we should not use wealth in an ungodly manner. There are four items or four things that uh, he addresses here. First is hoarding. Second one is cheating people out of money. The third one is living luxuriously or in luxury, disregarding the needs of others. And the fourth one is hurting innocent people for personal gain. 
Notice that these are progressive, from bad to worse. And we may say, or I may say, I never would hurt somebody else for personal gain. But Satan works in a very sly, it does work on small things, and hoarding doesn't hurt anyone, right? But maybe that leads me to collect things and find a, collect, a collector's piece that's so important to me that I would do anything to get it. Talking about hoarding, I think that 2023 will be our year for Jill and I to go to the attic get the stuff that we will never use or need, go to the closets, get the stuff that uh, we don't wear or they are out of fashion, I may not fit, and get rid of them, and uh, likewise going through the garage. So we may have a James 5, 2 to 3, Vago's garage sale. Tickets are on sale. We should not change, uh, cheat people of money. In those days, there probably were uh, landowners that were hiring people, and they were not paying them what they promised, or they were pretending that the laborers didn't meet the quota, so they would pay them less. That problem was fairly common, because in the, New Te in the Old Testament, we see it several uh, passages. I'd like to direct you to De Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 12, I mean 14 to 15. It says, you shall not oppress a hard worker who is poor and needy, whether he's um, one of your brothers or one of the sojourners or aliens who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and consonant, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Often in that economy, the people that were working were just earning enough money for their family dinner. The pay was, uh, in Jill's time, a denarius. A denarius was enough money to buy that dinner. That's where it comes, the word denari, dinner, uh, dinero in Spanish, diner in, in French. Um, that's an extra piece of information. Oops. Um, Now, how that would uh, apply to us, I'm thinking of in terms of, you know, when you go to the garage sales, uh, people uh, bargain you down to the point it becomes even ridiculous, uh, abusive, and unfair. So, and that, that is a way of probably cheating. So when you come to our garage sales, no, 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 you know, do that. We should not live in luxury and self-indulgence. James 
might have been thinking of Jesus' story of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, you know the story that is uh, Lazarus full of sores, longing to get the crumbs out of the table of this rich man, but the rich man had no compassion at all, didn't care. Both of them die, and their fates are reversed. The rich man is agonizing in hell, whereas Lazarus is resting in the bosom of Abraham. That doesn't mean that all rich people go to hell and all the poor people go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is clear. There can be godly rich people and there can be wicked poor people. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is, so we are all rich or poor, we are all um, have the same opportunity to come to Jesus and to have eternal life. We should not hurt innocent people for the sake of profit. Some things that James, you see that he's very stern. He said, you have uh, murdered innocent people. And some people think that the murder that he's talking about was real. Some other people think that it is not murder, but is the uh, effect of what the rich people oppressing the poor could have done taking away their sustenance, putting them out on the street. That may cause people to have nowhere to go to shorten their lifespan. The word condemned, as you can see in, um, verse, in verse 6, it refers to that legal practice of taking away property and, you know, it's, you, you see sometimes condemn, property condemn, or do not trespass, and the, the yellow. Well, that wasn't just happening way back then. It happens today as well. It may happen. Uh, I just saw last night on, on the Wall uh, Street Journal an article about uh, Blythe, Blight is called, says politicians are using blight to bulldoze neighborhoods and seize properties. Some of, of the, what is being done is for rejuvenation of uh, area, but blight means targeting a place, whether it's commercial or industrial or uh, residential, in order to take it by way of eminent domain, and then rebuild. Of course, the developers make a lot of money. Some politicians, the dirty politicians, get some donations for their campaign for re-election. But not everything is bad. I'm not saying that. We, as Christians, we're going to the third point, which is our responsibility to be faithful to God in the realm of financial um, uh, areas. Uh, 
maybe as, a, as a individuals, as a Christians, but our responsibility would be is to make sure that we know what's happening in the community, make sure to be of a positive influence for doing good, and make sure that if the, the poor people that are affected, they are treated fairly and they have an opportunity to um, move on forward. Wealth is a good tool if we are careful to use it as stewards of what God has given us. But it is a dangerous trap if we adopt the worldly standards. We need to examine our stewardship on a regular basis, see where we stand, the resources God has entrusted to us. We are stewards whether we have little or whether we have a lot, and it is our responsibility to manage it well. In uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, Paul says, it is required of stewards the one be found trustworthy. Trustworthy is a key word. Conclusion. We either trust in money and the possessions that we now have or trust in the Lord, which we'll see one day. And that day may not be too long from now. If we trust in the Lord, then we will manage our resources well, and we will also be generous as God is generous with us. After all, we know for God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. May that, that be our uh, goal to spread the world. Do I have time? Past it. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good God, and we are your people. We pray, God, that you will help us to see the warning and to also be encouraged because we know that you are faithful and true, and you will help us live lives that are a blessing to others and a glory to you. In Jesus' name.